Our theme this year is full, as you know, and I want to point something out. Every one of us love an underdog. I may be stating the obvious, but it's true. When someone that is expected to not go anywhere, someone who has to come from behind and someone who doesn't let the disadvantages they face keep them from succeeding, it strikes a responsive chord in every one of us. It captures our attention. We love it when people overcome great odds. None of us like to have to face great odds, (laughs) but when we see others who do, and they go on to win anyway, we identify so strongly with them because I'm going to be very candid with you today. Most of us did not get a head start in life. I wish I could get a better amen on that one point. If you did, I would like for you to please stand because I want to take your name. And I'd like to have a conversation with you and ask you how that was possible. A few people do indeed, just to be completely candid, start out with advantages that many others do not have. But that isn't the story of life in general. And this is why the stories of David and Goliath speak so strongly to us, or the story of Jehoshaphat facing the mighty armies of the Ammonites and the Moabites. We read that and it inspires us. These figures in the Bible that faced insurmountable odds and went on to win anyway speak to us. And they speak to us even if these people are in the secular world and their successes are successes within that dimension of life. For example, in business, Oprah Renfrey had a horribly scarred childhood. If you know anything about her, she was repeatedly abused by her cousin and an uncle and a family friend. Ran, ran away from home at the age of 14, ended up having a baby at the age of 14 that she had to give up. And she came from behind, and today she is a multi-billionaire. That's spelled with a B, by the way. A billionaire, not millionaire. Stretch your imagination to encompass numbers with Bs on the front. (laughs) That's a thousand millions. She is that several times over. Richard Branson, CEO and founder of the Virgin Group of Companies. Most of us are familiar with Virgin Airlines. At least we've heard about it, Virgin Records. Did you know that he's dyslexic and that he was a poor student and not expected to do very much with his life? He came from behind and today is the fourth richest person in the UK. Everybody's heard of Bill Gates who at various times has been the wealthiest person in the world. But did you know that his first business failed miserably and when he tried to sell it, a prospective buyer showed up and the system he developed wouldn't even work and the buyer walked away. Most people don't know that. In life, not just business, but in life itself, you can be behind and still manage to succeed. You can be the underdog. I think nearly everyone here has heard of Vincent van Gogh. And because I go through Amsterdam on a weekly basis, I certainly have. They have his picture everywhere. He was mentally ill and never adjusted to life. And uh, famously cut off one of his own ears in an act of self-mutilation. Because of the fact that he was so down on himself. Did you know that he only sold one painting in his entire life? And he still went on, in spite of that, to paint 900 paintings? Now wrap your mind around this. One of them sold recently for $75 million. And he painted 900 paintings. I wish that I could find one in my attic like somebody does, or go to a flea market and find one. Nobody's recognized. Franklin Roosevelt was partially paralyzed at the age of 39, and he went on from behind to become 
one of the most successful presidents that the United States has ever had, Charlize Theron, went through the childhood trauma of seeing her mother kill her abusive and alcoholic father in an act of self-defense. And in spite of the emotional scars that she grew up with, she came from behind to become one of the most successful and highly paid actresses in Hollywood today. My wife watched her uncle and aunt have a fight. They were her next door neighbors as a child. And her uncle was, just tell it like it is, was a drunk. And would beat his wife, my, my wife's aunt, Jerry's aunt. And in an act of self-defense, Pat took a knife to ward off her husband and killed her husband with my wife watching. And my wife had to overcome some things. You can often be behind in life, but it doesn't mean you have to stay there. In sports, how many of us are familiar with teams that came from behind? I think maybe the greatest single event that illustrates this in terms of sports is the Winter Olympics at Lake Placid, New York in 1980. I'm old enough to actually remember it because back in those days, the hockey players, you know, in Russia were all professionals on the Olympic team, yet the Olympic rules were that you could not have professional athletes play in the Olympics. They've changed that now, of course, but that was the rule at the time. And we, the United States, wanting to be straight as an arrow, we obliged and kept the rule, not the Russians. They kept putting all their professional players, not on just the hockey teams, but all the other teams as well. And so we had a young amateur team (laughs) made up of amateur players out on the ice against the mighty juggernaut juggernaut of the Russian team. I mean, they were steamrolling everybody. And it was like David and Goliath. And does anybody remember it? They even made a movie about it. The United States team came from behind and beat the Russians in what to this day is still called the miracle on ice. It's never been forgotten. It was humiliating for the Russians. Our very history is a history of overcoming opposition that we were not supposed to be successful in overcoming. The United States itself was an underdog when we defeated the mightiest military army in the world, military power, that of the British Army. We went on to gain our independence and no one thought we would survive. No one thought we could do it. And perhaps one reason we love stories about underdogs winning is because most of us at some point in our lives have been underdogs. You ever have anybody say you'll never get there? Talk you down? Every one of the stories that I've told you are about people who overcame great hardships to become successful And they did so for one reason. They got hungry. They got hungry. And I want to tell you, whether it's in life, in your marriage, in sports, in your business, in your ministry, in your walk with God, in your education, I want you to know that prayer alone is not enough. I'm going to shock you. I'm a pastor. I want you to pray. But I want you to know prayer alone is not enough. Look at what Jesus said in Mark 11, 24. Therefore, I say to you, what things soever you desire. When you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. So what do you have to do in addition to pray? You got to have desire. Let me use another word for desire, that is hunger. Look at your neighbor and ask them, how hungry have you been lately? You see, some days it's hard to find motivation, but other days motivation finds you. I bet that guy paddled that bicycle, pedaled it faster than he's ever paddled it in his life. 
you look over your shoulder and a grizzly bear is hot on your trail, you can pedal a bicycle. Amen. (laughs) Adversity can draw things out of you that you didn't know was there. But it does so by creating hunger in you. Hunger will open doors that nothing else can open and give you opportunities you will never have otherwise. It'll make you get up early and stay late. It'll make you prepare yourself and pray and fast and be in the word. It will cause you to refuse to accept failure as being final. It'll make you get up again when you fall. I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about I'm coming from behind, but I'm going to get there. Tell your neighbor, I may be coming from behind, but I'm going to get there. Father, would you speak a word to us today? Help us to understand the divine principles of your book because the Holy Scripture is so filled with things that can transform our lives if we will just seize upon them and apply them. Help us to not be hearers of the word only, but to be doers of the word, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Since our theme this year is full, I want to point out what is obvious. Sometimes to live a life that is full, you will have to come from behind. Our scriptural passage, Paul talks about knowing how to be full and hungry, knowing how to abound and suffer need. And then the very next verse says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Would you allow me to paraphrase this and, and tell you one of the things that I think it means one of the things because the Bible is transpositional and that it can mean so many different things at different levels. I think it not only says that we need to learn to be happy in whatever state we're in, which it certainly is saying that. I think Paul is also telling us we can do all things through Christ and become full if we get hungry enough. Think about it. Full and hungry. Two sides of the same coin. In our series that we're in on Father Knows Best, I'm talking about things our Heavenly Father knows about life that He wants for us and His plan for us that we sometimes even resist. But if we just learn to listen to Him, Daddy always knows what's best. Paul has said that I've learned to be hungry. And as a result, look at everything he did for God. You can't say for one second that Paul's life was easy. Can't. Thrown in prison, beaten, shipwrecked, stoned, left for dead, eventually had his head cut off. But yet he wrote over half the New Testament. That's because hunger leads to fullness. And as I taught a couple of weeks ago, making yourself empty actually creates more room in life for what really matters. If you can't make yourself hungry, God can. And I sometimes think that what God does is he looks down at us and says, you're a little bit too full. So if you can't make yourself hungry, I know how. That happened in the text that we're using right now and that I used a couple of Sundays ago, Judges 6, 11 through 16. Let's continue our study. And the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terabith tree, which is an Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the, watch this now, angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said, Oh, my Lord. Did you ever say that? Oh, my Lord. If the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all of his miracles? And I dealt with the questions a couple of weeks ago. Verse 14. Watch this now. Then the Lord turned to him. Mm. A few moments ago, it was the angel of the Lord. Now it's the Lord. And says, go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you? 
It's no longer an angel of the Lord. He now sees it's the Lord himself. So he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? Watch this now. Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. What he's telling God is I was literally bred to fail. I'm the least member of the least house of the least tribe in all of Israel. And the Lord said to him, surely I will be with you and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. What that means is you're going to defeat the Midianites as though it was one man instead of all this great army that you see out there. I want to share with you two principles that can change your life. And I'll spend the rest of my time fleshing this thought out and unpacking it. The first is simply this. When God gives you a word, don't question it. Repeat it. Tell somebody, don't question it. Repeat it. You got to talk to yourself. And when God gives you a word, it is designed to change your self-talk. And number two, a prophetic word, second principle isn't for you to just see the future of your life. That's what everybody wants a prophetic word for, so we can see what's coming. It is for you to align your life with your future. I just said some stuff that will change your life if you will allow it to. Talking about God making people hungry, Israel, it's sin. The enemy always tries to frame the sin conversation as a fun versus a boring life type of discussion. (laughs) You ever notice that? A freedom versus a bondage and control thing. I want to be free, but God's this control freak. Won't let me do what I want to do. The enemy always tries to frame the conversation in that way. And that's not all. Being saved is really a protected versus an exposed and in danger kind of thing. While the enemy's trying to tell you that it's a fun versus bondage kind of a deal where God won't let you do what you want to do, what God is really saying is, nah, it's not that at all. It's, I want to protect you, but what you're wanting to do is be exposed and in danger. You just don't see it. And just so you'll realize what I'm talking about today, in this story, Israel illustrates the very thing that I've just stated. Because Israel sinned and got out from underneath the protection of God's covering. And so, here comes the enemy. What you need to realize is the enemy is always there. He's like the Lord. He's ever present. <laughs> I need you to know he's always lurking in the shadows. The enemy is as faithful as God. Just in the wrong way. And the moment you step out from underneath the covering, he is right there to take advantage of it. He's not only there to take advantage of it, he's the one saying, come look over here. Israel succumbed to the temptation to dishonor their covenant with God. And the result was they got exposed to the attack of the enemy. Got out from underneath God's covering. And listen what happened. As always is the case, the enemy made their lives as miserable as possible. Judges 6, 3 through 4. So it was, whenever Israel had sown Midianite, the Midianites would come up. Also the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. And they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth. I want you to notice that phrase. As far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. This happened for seven years. They didn't come just when they had sown. I pointed out to you that they would come and the Bible said they would destroy the produce, what the seed had produced. Am I talking to anybody in life? You have discovered there is an enemy that the moment your harvest is about to come, he shows up. And burns everything down. 
everything you've invested, all of the energy you put into it, you cultivate your fields, you work hard, you fight the weeds, you fight the blight, you deal with drought, hail, storms, you face weariness and hot days in the sun, and just about the time you're getting ready to reap your harvest here shows up the devil, and he doesn't just steal your harvest, he burns it to the ground just destroys it just out of spite. I've got a word for somebody. This happened for seven years. It has been burning in my spirit until I can't get away from it. Seven is the number of completion in the Bible. Eight is the number of new beginnings. I don't know who I'm talking to, but I'm talking to somebody. The devil has stolen the last harvest from you. It's getting ready to turn around. Oh, somebody in the building needs to give God some praise. Oh, yes. I know when I've heard a word from God, somebody you've lost everything you've worked for, time after time you thought this is it, It's going to make it. This is my chance. I'm climbing out of this hole. And just about the time you do, the devil shows up and shuts it down. The word from God is, don't believe that it's happening this time. Because it's not God's getting ready to change everything. Woo! High five your neighbor. And say it's changing this year. Would you do that? I don't know about you. But I didn't go through everything I've gone through to lose it right now. I didn't face the drought and the heat and the cold and the sun. I didn't go through everything I've had to face to reach this point. For the devil to come steal my harvest and life. Oh no. And this brings us now to Gideon who managed to salvage just a little bit of wheat. Just a little. It wasn't much. But he's threshing it at the wine press. And what strikes me about this story is that he refused to give up and throw in the towel, no matter how great the odds were against him. Now look, I won't talk to you because Gideon was hungry. And you need to realize that that's the story that you're, you're, you're having shared with you in this service today. Well, I'm talking about a hungry man. Any of you women know what a hungry man looks like? Any of you men know what it's like to be hungry? They used to have these TV dinners called Hungry Man TV. Anybody remember that day? They were bigger than, and none of them you could, were fit to eat. But if you got hungry enough, you could manage to get it down. You know what I'm, in life, you sometimes have to get hungry. And Gideon was a hungry man. But both fullness and hunger present their own unique problems as well as dangers. In Proverbs 27, verse 7 through 8, the scripture said, a satisfied soul loathes. The honeycomb hates it, despises it, but to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. And the very next verse says, like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. Just hang that one right there somewhere. I'm going to get back to it. When you're full, you don't have any room or appetite left for any other thing, no matter how good Or how important it is, a satisfied soul loathes a honeycomb. Can't stand a honeycomb. Let me explain it this way. When you're full, it's like when you've been eating my wife's chicken and sausage gumbo. Or shrimp creole. When my wife fixes either one of those, I don't need any dessert. Ordinarily, if you fix a pecan pie. I'm going to get your attention. And I don't don't like none of those dry pecan pies that you can buy in the store that are like eating cardboard. I like the feeling to be made of that Louisiana cane syrup, that dark kind. And it is so rich when you take a bite, you go into a diabetic or insulin coma. 
Anybody know what I'm talking about? And what you do is you put it in the microwave and you heat it up. And you get a scoop of Blue Bell homemade vanilla ice cream and put it on top. Most times, if you have that, I'll walk right around everything else and go straight to it. But not when my wife fixes a chicken and sausage gumbo or a shrimp creole. You can have all the pecan pie in Houston, Texas and Blue Bell ice cream to put on top of it. I am not interested. Because even though it's sweet, I have no appetite for it because like I tell her, that chicken and sausage gumbo is my dessert. I'm already satisfied. Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about? And sadly, that describes the condition of us sometimes spiritually because we can be so full That we loathe the other good things that God has in store for our lives. You see, you don't want to let yourself get so full that it robs you of your hunger for what is really important. I wish I could hear an amen. Because inevitably it will lead to the dire circumstance that Israel was facing. They had filled themselves up with the wrong thing. And as a result, they were experiencing what it was like to be out from under the covering of God's protection and grace. One man was hungry. But on the other hand, not only does being full make you despise what is really good, and therefore it can be a problem in itself, hunger has its own problems and its own dangers too. Hunger can cause you to seek out the wrong things to fill it. Let me talk to you and be a pastor to you right now. When you're hungry, even things you wouldn't normally be interested in begin to look good. That's why Proverbs said that to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Come on, help me out now. Things that are bitter start looking good. You go on a three-day fast and stuff you wouldn't touch on most days. You just say, bring it on, mama. Amen. It's like your kids. They despise some things. I don't like that. Yeah, just let them go to bed that night hungry. They're going to love it tomorrow, I promise you. Because when you get hungry, stuff that normally is not appealing to you begins to be enticing. And both men and women can be enticed into doing things they will later regret for as long as they live because they allow the wrong kind of hunger. Oh, I'm preaching right now. In fact, look at what the next verse says it will do. It says it will make you wander from your place just like a bird that wanders from its nest. Oh, God have mercy. It'll make you wander from your place in your covenant relationship with your husband or wife. It'll make you wander from the job that God gave you that you prayed so hard for because you got hungry for the wrong things. Hello, somebody. It'll make you do things in life, abandon a business that God gave you. It'll make you do crazy stuff that you'll look back on and regret for as long as you live. Because instead of filling up that hunger with the right things, you allowed that hunger to go unfulfilled. And having warned against the dangers of hunger that's not of the right kind, I want to say this. The truth is, you will never do anything significant in this world, in life, in ministry, in business, until you get hungry enough. I've warned you against the dangers of the wrong kind of hunger, but look at somebody and say, you still got to get hungry. Would you do that? I had to first tell you that the wrong kind of hunger will put you in a place that you don't want to be. And that's why most people think of hunger as a problem, but in reality, hunger is one of life's most important assets. Hunger can cause you to reach for what you never would have reached for. Hunger will make you go back to school and get a degree. It will cause you to work harder. Hunger will make you change your behavior and learn how to act differently so you can make a relationship work. 
Hunger for God will make you go to church faithfully and read your Bible and pray. But when you're too full, you don't have time for that slice of pecan pie with that rich cane syrup, dark cane syrup is my favorite. Filling. You can forget the pecans on it. You can forget the crust. I'll just eat the, the, the filling right up. Amen. Uh, and walk away perfectly fulfilled. Amen. And satisfied. But when I'm full, I don't have any room left for it. And when you fill yourself up with the wrong things, you don't have time to go to church. I realize I'm preaching to the choir because you're here today. Amen. And the ones that need to hear what I'm saying are not here. Make sure they get the podcast, okay? Amen. And all the time, as I said, God looks down from heaven and said, I can make them hungry. I know how. I'm good at making people hungry. I can make you hungry where you'll be glad to be filled up with the right things. And that is literally what is happening in the case of Israel. And the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. The Lord is with him more than he realizes. Because he still thinks this is an angel. And then verse 14 says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you? Not has not the Lord sent you, but have not I sent you? I want you to understand the Hebrew word that is used for angel here is the Hebrew word Jehovah. It wasn't just an angel that showed up. It was literally the Jehovah God that spoke worlds into existence. In the New Testament, God could appear in the person of Jesus Christ. But in the Old Testament, there wasn't a physical body. So God would would borrow, as it were, various what we call theophanies in theology. Various forms. And he would appear. Melchizedek was one. Other times he would appear as an angel. And he appears to Gideon as an angel and then suddenly the disguise is ripped away and it's God. How many of us have been in situations where it turned out God was talking to us and we didn't even know it? Your circumstance, it might be God speaking to you through that circumstance. Oh, It might be God talking to you in the middle of that trial or the middle of that valley. How many of you know in scripture that very seldom, if any God, would God ever speak to somebody on a mountaintop? You go to the scripture and you'll find it was Moses and Gideon and that was pretty much it. Or Moses and, and Joshua and that was pretty much it. The rest of the time when God spoke, guess where people were? They were in the middle of a valley, a middle of a situation. I'm talking to somebody right now. You wonder why you're in the situation you're in. It's because God's getting ready if he hasn't already shown up and he might be doing it right now just to tell you the Lord is with you. God says, have not I sent you? It's not a postman delivering a letter now. It's God. And Gideon still wants to argue with the Lord. He couldn't believe that God could possibly ever use him. And his protestation is this. I'm the least member of the least tribe, a family of the least tribe in Israel. I was born to fail. Look at your neighbor and say, you may have been born to fail. Tell him. You may have been bred to lose. But when God gets through with you, he brings people from behind to make them succeed. Because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Oh, when God becomes the other part of the equation, you can't help but succeed. Oh, Lord. Amen. When God gives you a word, I want to teach you this. Don't look for all the reasons why what he said can't possibly happen. 
when God gives you a word, don't doubt it, repeat it. Rearrange your thinking to agree with what God has decreed to be so. Here's why. Because when he speaks a word to you, that word contains his creative force. That word from the mouth of God is the same word that created the world we live in. And if you will let it, it will recreate your world and change everything about you. Woo! Once you receive a word from God that's capable of transforming you, you've got to change your way of thinking and your self-talk to reflect the word that God has given you. Say it again. Don't doubt it. Repeat it. You got to keep saying the word over and over to yourself. Why do you think God gave you the word instead of going tell everybody else? He wanted to change the way you talk and the way you think. Amen. Once you receive a word from God that can transform you, you need to realize that all those that had a word, that it didn't transform them and nothing happened afterward was because they didn't change their way of thinking or their way of talking. And I look at the Bible. Look at old Abraham. Lord, there's so many stories coming out of the word. I wish I had time to preach every one of them. At the age of 75, he had spent 75 years of his life called Abram. And God showed up and said, I'm changing your name to Abraham. Abram means father and he never had a child. That was bad enough. But God said, I'm changing your name to Abraham, which means father of nations. <laughs> Woo! Sometimes you got to call yourself by things and speak words over your life that everybody around you refuses to admit could ever happen in your life. They may have typecast you. You may be stereotyped in their mind, but I'm talking to somebody right now that if you can change your self-talk, you can change the way you think. And God has a word for you today. Oh, hear me. You're not Abram, you're Abraham. God has more in store for you than you realize. You look at the book of Genesis. There's so many stories like that. God changes Jacob's name from heel grabber or thief and calls him Israel, which means prince. And do you know that two chapters later, Gideon still calling himself, or rather Jacob still calling himself Jacob? And he finally stands before Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, how you doing? And he said, few and evil have been the days of my life because what you speak over your life is what's going to be released. And you've got to learn to agree with God's word for your life. I may be talking to somebody that just got a diagnosis this week that is not good, but what you've got to do is quote scripture. God said, I am healed in Jesus' name. I don't care what the MRI decreed over me. Just this morning, Mark and Linda Miller came by my office and they had sent me a picture this week and they have created a memorial garden and they've labeled it memorial garden. And uh, the reason for that is one year ago this past week, Linda was diagnosed as having a tumor the size of a lemon in her brain, a brain tumor that was one of these really, really bad malignant tumors, blasto or whatever. And you can look it up. Hey, I can't remember it. But do you know that God healed her? And just this week, they went back and had her one-year test an examination and she is completely free of that cancer so they did what the children of Israel did when they came to the river Jordan they took some stones Israel did out of the river and built a memorial that's what Mark and Linda did they built a memorial garden and every time they walked by it they remember what God did for them you know what God's getting ready to do for you in the middle of all of this he's going to give you a memorial that you can look at and say look what the Lord has done Look what God has done. Look what God did for me. Woo. 
Because you can't have a testimony without having gone through a test, honey. You got to face some things if you want to know how big God is. And the bigger the problem, the bigger you will see that God is when he deals with it. I'm talking to somebody today that God is saying, the Lord is with you. Gideon's response is so typical of ours. He begins to make excuses to the Lord about why God surely must have the wrong person. You found the wrong address, Lord. It must have been the guy that was here yesterday, but not me. After all, I'm the least member of the least family of the least tribe in Israel. You see, you can get stuck in life and so down on yourself that, oh, you ready? That not even God appearing in a heavenly form to speak to you can change your mind about who you are. Not even God can talk you out of it. I want you right now to just lift your hands and say, Lord, your word. Balcony, come on, help me out. Balcony, help me. Everybody, Lord, your word describes my future. I'm not going to let my past rob me of what you have for me tomorrow. I'm not going to let my pain rob me of the pleasure that's waiting just around the corner. I claim the promise of God today. Would you give God a shout of praise right now? Woo! Hallelujah! You see, the enemy is telling you you were born to fail. The circumstances of your past conspired to communicate that message to you. He caused the mess you went through so that that would be your takeaway. That when you look back at everything that happened, your one conclusion would be I'm the least member of the least tribe of the least nation in Israel. God can't use me. You see, Gideon, in our clothes, was actually coming from behind. There were others that had better advantages. But look look out now. (laughs) Because if you're not careful, you can think you've got the race all sewed up. You can be like the Russians, so arrogant they don't think they can lose because their players are the pros. And we got this amateur team of nobodies, these young boys that have never had their medal tested. And we're going into the Olympics against the strongest team that exists in the world. But let me tell you, you can get so cocky that God can take an underdog and propel him right in front of you. Hello. You can come from behind. And listen to this, Mark 5, 25 through 28. Now a certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years and she had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, everybody say, but rather grew worse. Come on, I want to hear you. Rather grew what? Rather grew what? Does that describe your situation? Am I talking to anybody? You keep hoping it's going to get better. You keep hoping it's going to turn around, but it's getting worse. Listen to this. When she heard about Jesus, she came from behind him in the crowd and touched his garments. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be well. Here's a lady She hears Jesus has passed through, not his coming, has passed through. I'm saying that because some of you think your opportunity has already come and gone. But she came from behind. You got to come from behind at times in your life. Woo! Because if you can touch him, it will change everything. And so I close by simply telling you, sometimes in life, you just have to accept the fact that you're going to be behind, and you're not going to have the advantages. Somebody else will. 
and you're going to face all the obstacles. But it doesn't mean that you can't do well. That's why Paul says, if you get hungry enough, you can get full. And I can do all things, say it, all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. The right kind of hunger can lead you to a state of cessation and fullness you never imagined you would ever achieve. And I love this and I close. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27. (laughs) God chose the things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing, oh Lord, at all. Did you hear that? Nothing at all. And use them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. That's talking about you, honey. I'm talking about you and there's your verse. God identified you right there in scripture. God takes nobodies from behind and makes them to become powerful in him. And he says this, as a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. You see, all of those with the advantages, they get there. This is what they do. Well, what'd you expect? I mean, after all, look at who I am. But when you come from behind, God doesn't need to worry about you taking the glory. Because if you just make it, (laughs) you're going to say, God, I know where my joy came from. God, I know where my healing came from. God, I know where my blessing came from. God, I know where my victory came from. God, I know where my wealth came from. God, I know where my promotion came from. Had it not been for you, Lord, I would not be here right now. I know what brought me to this place. Oh, yes. And in conclusion, you might ask, why did God even allow you to struggle with so many things to overcome? Though I've already answered that by telling you that the reason was so you can get hungry. Let me just give you one final verse to corroborate what I'm saying. 2 Corinthians 4 and 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. I can tell you that where I came from in life, I wasn't supposed to be where I'm at right now. And every once in a while, I've had position in my life, I'm serious, people who thought it was their assignment from God to make sure I didn't get swell-headed, amen. They're gonna tell me all my problems and flaws and you know what I do, I smile and say, thank you, I'll work on it. Because I'm far from perfect and I know you're not either. But I know why God brought me from where I'm at. He knew he could get the glory. Am I talking to anybody in this house that if God promotes you, you're going to remember to tell him, I know where my blessing came from. Oh, I'm not hearing you. I ask you again, am I talking to anybody that if God elevates you, you will give him the glory? Give him some praise right now. I feel my anointing. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I feel like I could dance before the Lord right now. God is good. Hallelujah. (laughs) You may be seated. Yeah, that was me, bred to fail. (laughs) But I've got him on my side now. And if I stay hungry enough, and I don't get too full of things that will take the right kind of hunger away, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
I close with this final verse. According to Ephesians 2 and 6, God raised us up (laughs) together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Say, raised us up. Would you do that? Just kind of do your hand like this. Raised us up. Up. I want you to see that. Science discovered something the other day they did not know about space travel. I saw this a couple of weeks ago. It blew my mind. And we all know that identical twins have the same DNA, right? Fraternal twins do not. The reason for that is simple. For, I shared this in, in, children's ministry work, in a children's ministry workshop here yesterday. But this blesses me so much. Fraternal twins, two eggs are fertilized by two separate sperm. And a woman can give birth to fraternal twins. They don't look alike because they are not identical. But she can give birth to identical twins, but a different process occurs. The same egg is fertilized by one sperm, and then it divides into two embryos. Now, that's a miracle from God. Amen. Birth itself is a miracle. Amen. Conception is a miracle. But when you have twins... That is an amazing thing. But you grow up. Here's what science has figured out. All of you watch Miami CSI, right? I've never watched a single episode, but I figured you have. Amen. And so everybody knows about all this stuff these days. But do you know that identical twins, unlike fraternal twins, who have different DNA from one another, identical twins have the very same DNA. It is literally possible. That if you've got an evil twin and he or she commits a crime and they take DNA evidence from the crime scene and they come to you, that you could conceivably be arrested and even prosecuted and convicted because you have the same DNA and according to the DNA evidence, it's you that did it. Recently, one of our astronauts returned from a space lab journey that lasted almost one year. Astronaut Scott Kelly, put him up there, there he is, was out there for one year. What you might not know is that Scott Kelly has an identical twin named Gene Kelly. (laughs) Amazingly, after spending one year in space, when astronaut Scott Kelly returned and they did, NASA did this huge medical workup that they do on all of our astronauts upon their return. They discovered to their astonishment that Scott Kelly, 7% of his DNA was changed permanently. He is no longer an identical twin to Gene Kelly. I saw that, I got happy. Because if you can go high enough and stay long enough, it changes who you are. Somebody ought to give God some praise right now. We are made to sit together in heavenly places. Stand up with me. I need you to look at somebody and tell them I'm not the same person I used to be. I'm not the same person that came to God those years ago. I was bred to fail, but my DNA has changed because he's lifted me up.